0: growing in God's word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: This terrible, awful time and you got just a little taste of it just reading verses 1 through 8 of Revelation chapter 6, just beginning to read about these horses and 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 death and and disease and and famine and all these types of things.
0: It seems there's been a lot of talk lately about the end of time. Hollywood has put out more than its share of movies on the subject. The news media has gotten a lot of airtime from the Mayan calendar. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world economically and politically. A lot of people are asking, could this be the end of time? There is
1: a day coming when God's wrath will begin to be poured out. I believe at moment, I believe that day is coming very soon, the tribulation period. I believe it's going to start very soon. And it will be the, the beginning of God's wrath to begin to be poured out as judgment on this world. And trust me on this,
0: you don't want to be there. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today in our study in the book of Revelation, we delve into what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation Period. It takes up the majority of the book of Revelation from chapter 6, verse 1 to chapter 19, verse 21. The Bible describes it as a time like the world has never experienced before. No other section of
1: Scripture deals with any other particular time in history with as great as detail or with as much content as the Great Tribulation period.
0: Well, today Pastor Clay is introducing us to this section of the book of Revelation by answering some key questions and looking at some key Old Testament passages that are crucial for a correct understanding of the book of Revelation. We're glad you've joined us today in our series, The Revelation. Holy, 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 I want to see
1: Revelation chapter 6. Verse 1. And then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, As with a loud voice of thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he had broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, I looked. And behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So opens the passage of Scripture that is known to us as the tribulation period, or the great tribulation period. It opens with those ominous words in verses 1 through 8 of these these four riders on these four horses that are known as the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse. Just reading it, it's it's a very, it's a very powerful scene. It's a very, a very ominous scene that takes place. Now, we've led up to that in chapters 4 and 5, and, and we've looked at those seals and discussed what that was, and as you can see, obviously in chapter 6, it's going to begin to go into greater detail as to what those seals are. Today, we embark on what is the largest part of the book of Revelation. From chapter 6, verse 1, to chapter 19, verse 21, the largest section of the book of Revelation covers this event called the tribulation period. No other section of Scripture deals with any other particular time in history with as great as detail or with as much content as the Great Tribulation period. It's mentioned over 50 times in the Old Testament by such names as... We got those names? (laughs) The Day of Calamity, the Day of Wrath, the Day of the Lord's Wrath, the Day of Jacob's Trouble... The day of vengeance of our God, the time of trouble, the day of the Lord. It's mentioned over a dozen times in the New Testament, most notably in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, the section of Scripture that's known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus begins to talk about the end times. There must be something that God wants us to know about this time period that's very, very important. Because we are going to be, quite honestly, several months looking at the tribulation period, beginning in chapter 6 and verse 1 and going through chapter 19, verse 21. Because we're going to be a number of months just in that particular section of the book of Revelation, I felt like perhaps it was important to kind of, to kind of pull the reins in a little bit today and to, to take an overview, an introduction to the tribulation period in the book of Revelation. In the same way that, that we started this whole series back in the first Sunday of January, we started with an introduction, an overall introduction to the book of Revelation. I thought it might be good today to maybe hold back on the Scripture, uh, that particular passage, which I read this morning and which we'll deal with next week. I thought it might be good to kind of introduce this tribulation period. And I want to do that by a- answering, asking and answering uh, some questions. Now, let me tell you this. As we get started, uh, I, I probably don't have enough time. And two, uh, at times, this is going to get technical. It's going to sound kind of technical. Okay? Zoom in. Focus. I know it's hard sometimes, folks. And, and listen, nothing to... I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not... I don't consider myself the greatest Bible scholar in the world. Okay? But, but if you came to learn, you came to a good place. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm just saying... Fluff and stuff, you can find that, but you, okay? All right, let's start with the first uh, question that I want to deal with this morning, and, and it really is kind of said, why, why a tribulation period in the first place? Why does God bring the great tribulation period? By the way, if you're interested, if, if you're new here, on the back of your information sheet is an outline, you're welcome to fill in those blanks if you'd like to, but, but that's a good place to start. Well, well why do we have to even have to have this? Why does God have to have this great tribulation period? It's a good question. Matter of fact, why don't you ask that question? Let's all ask it together. Why does God bring the great tribulation period? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you uh, four reasons as, as I kind of worked through it and, and thought through it. F- at least four reasons that I could think of for the great tribulation period. All right. Here's the first one this morning. It is this. God brings the great tribulation period. First off, no, that's number two. Go, go back to number one. To bring repentance, it's supposed to be to bring repentance to Israel. Number one is to bring repentance to Israel. Now, one of the important keys to understanding the book of Revelation is to understand the importance of the nation of Israel in God's plan and in God's economy. You need to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. God is not done with the nation of Israel. Now, a lot of people don't understand that. But if you think about it, it is rather odd that this tiny little strip of land that I don't think is even as big as Rhode Island is continually in the world news. Night after night, day after day, it seems like a strange thing. I can tell you this, that the nation of Israel is part of God's economy and God is not done with the nation of Israel. Now, uh, for the most part, uh, Jewish people have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But it doesn't mean that God breaks His covenant promise. No matter what they do, it doesn't mean God breaks his covenant promise. And in Genesis chapter 12, we don't have time to look at it today, but in Genesis chapter 12, God establishes an everlasting, and that's the key term, an everlasting covenant agreement with the nation of Israel. It's kind of clarified a little more in Genesis chapter 15. It's confirmed, and by the way, in Genesis chapter 12, this covenant is made with Abraham. And that's why it's sometimes referred to as the Abrahamic covenant that God enters into this relationship, this covenant with Abraham. It's confirmed to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then later to his son, Jacob. And it is an everlasting covenant. And as I said, most Jews have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But that doesn't mean that God breaks his covenant. Now, listen to me. They still have to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. They still have to know him, just like you and I do. Jew, Gentile, it makes no difference. They have to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But God still has a plan. And He's going to use the tribulation period as a time to bring the Jewish people into a recognition of who their Messiah, their, their, their Lord, really was. There's a, there's a prophetic passage of Scripture in Zechariah chapter 12, I think it is. It says this, I will pour out on the house of David, that's another word or phrase for Israel, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. So that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Now remember, Zechariah writes this several hundred years before Jesus is even born. And he says, they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So Zechariah prophesies that there's coming a time when God is going to pour out His Spirit on the, on the nation of Israel, on the Jewish people, and He's going to bring them to a recognition. Oh my goodness, we missed it. Those crazy Christians, they kept saying Jesus was the Messiah, and we didn't listen to Him. We didn't listen to what they said, but He really is. And, and, the, and the Jewish people will begin to come into a relationship. So the, the, the first reason for the tribulation period is to bring... Israel to repentance. Second reason, which you've already been looking at, is revival to the world. God is going to bring revival to the world even in the midst of this terrible. Awful time, and you got just a little taste of it just reading verses one through eight of Revelation chapter six. Just beginning to read about these horses and, and, and death and, and disease and, and famine and all these types of things, even in the midst of all that's going to go on, God is going to bring her up. I am of the belief that millions of people are going to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ during actually during the great tribulation period. Now, listen to me, it will be a terrible time. And many of them, if not most of them, will die for their faith in Jesus Christ. So, I, so if you're here and you're thinking, well, I'll just wait till then to get saved. I'll just live the way I want and get, wait till then to give my life to Jesus. I, I, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Number one, you know, I don't even, I can't say for sure when the tribulation period will come. I, I'm of the belief it's going to happen very soon, but you don't even know if you'll be alive when it comes. Number two, when the Spirit of God is working in your life and you feel that conviction and, 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 if, and if you felt it before, you know what I'm talking about. You, it's t- you, better, you best deal with it. So there's going to be a time, and we'll see it. You, as we get into the, to the tribulation period, you'll see how God will begin to bring a worldwide revival, I believe, even in the midst of that. A third reason for the tribulation period is retribution to the wicked. And I know that this is the part that some people don't like to think about or, or hear about, but the fact is, it's the truth. Retribution to the wicked. There's a, a famous preacher uh, for many years ago by the name of R.G. Lee, who had a very famous sermon called Payday Sunday." And R.G. Lee would get invited everywhere, even after he retired from Pastor First Baptist Bellevue for many years. He, he would preach that sermon at least once a year, every year, Payday Someday. And in that sermon, he reminded the people there that while God was a loving and patient and forgiving God, he was also a righteous judge. And there is a payday coming someday. Now, like I said, I I know that that's a a subject that some people don't really like to think about. I I know that that there are people that think, well, you know what? If God is is a loving God, then he would never bring judgment on uh, anybody at all if he's really a a loving God. He he wouldn't bring judgment. As if judgment is a bad thing. Now, listen, if you feel that way, I mean no offense to you. If you happen to be here and you feel that way, I mean no offense to you. Listen to me. The problem is... That you're trying to make God into who you want Him to be instead of who He actually is. And while it's absolutely true that God is a loving and patient and forgiving God, He is also a just and righteous God. And sin, quite honestly, going against God's will for your life, that's what sin is, sin is too grievous a thing for a holy God to simply turn and look the other way. He can't do it. He won't do it. And whether you believe this or not, You really don't want Him to. Nobody really wants a God that just turns the other way, sin, even though they may think they do. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine a child stolen from his or her bed in the middle of the night. If you have children, imagine your child stolen in the middle of the night from you. Never to see that child again. Never to hold that child again. And imagine the perpetrator of that horrendous crime If that person were to be caught and to be put on trial, imagine being in that courtroom and the judge sitting behind the bench and saying to the perpetrator, with all evidence that the person was guilty, to say to that person, what you did was a terrible thing. What you did was wrong. You should have never done that thing. But I'm such a loving and and compassionate judge. I, I can't judge you. I'll, I'll let you go. No rational person would stand for that. Every rational thinking person would say, you can't do that. That's, you can't do You can't let that person go free after this, after this crime that they've committed. How can you possibly do that? We would demand justice. And as a matter of fact, most of us would want that judge brought up on charges for injustice. So let me ask you a question. How can God, who is far more righteous and just than you and I will ever be, how can we expect Him to simply look the other way and not deal with unrighteousness? We can't. But Now listen, here's the really, really good news. While He is a righteous judge, and He must and will judge unrighteousness, He will judge sin, here's the really good news. This righteous God is also a loving God who said you're guilty of your sin. You deserve the punishment that is due to you for the actions that you've committed in your life. But I'll actually take your payment on. I'll actually go to the cross and die so that payment can be made. Because you don't want an unjust God. You don't want a God that just says, oh, well, don't worry about it. No, judgment demands a verdict. And God says, I pronounce the verdict on myself. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's the whole point. Yeah, we weren't there. I, I was telling the Jeff and Jody Edwards little boys the other night. Even though it was 2,000 years ago and we weren't there. By faith we, we apply that substitutionary atonement to our lives. And God says I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay the price. If a person rejects God's love and God's forgiveness, then they are responsible for their own sins. And the truth is, there is a day coming when God's wrath will begin to be poured out. I believe, at some moment, I believe that day is coming very soon, the tribulation period. I believe it's going to start very soon. And it will be the, the beginning of God's wrath to begin to be poured out as judgment on this world. And trust me on this, you don't, may not trust me on anything else. Trust me on this, you don't want to be there when this thing breaks loose. The final reason, I believe, for the tribulation period is this, the restoration to paradise. And we'll see it. This is when we get to chapters 20 and 21 and 22, and we begin to see this new heaven and this new earth, and we begin to see that God restores us, mankind, restores us to what He intended for us all along, to be restored to paradise, to be restored to an eternity that is I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see and we'll read about it in chapters 20 and 21 and 22. And, and it's fantastic. It's unbelievable. But listen to me. Listen to me. Whatever you can imagine, heaven, eternity, new earth, all that. We'll get, but whatever you can imagine it, that it will be like, it will be 10,000 times 10,000. Better than that. And, and listen, I, you know, I'm, as I'm standing here, I'm thinking that somebody's thinking. <laughs> that's weird. I'm thinking that somebody's thinking. That I'm thinking, no. What, what if somebody's thinking, well, that, you know, that sounds a little, you know, that's a little far, come on, freaky, a little far-fetched, okay, Hell, heaven, we're going to float around, what is all that stuff? Listen, <laughs> I'm not asking you to drink the Kool-Aid and, and get there in a hurry, all right? I'm not asking you to get on a spaceship or any of that kind of stuff. I, I, I'm just saying, this is what God's Word says, and I've, I've said this, my, you know, my whole preaching life, I've said this. I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. That, that's who I'm going to believe. So there's going to be a restoration to paradise. And it's going to be good. It's going to be real good. All right. Here we go, real quickly. Uh, two other questions that I want to answer this morning. Answer the, that one. Why is there a tribulation period? We looked at that. Uh, repentance of Israel. Uh, worldwide revival. Uh, uh, Going to deal with the wicked and, um, and restoration of paradise. <laughs> that's good. All right. So, for now here's two other questions that I want to answer this morning. They are this When does the tribulation period, well, actually, that's the second. That's the third question. The second one is, how long is the tribulation period? The, the other one is, when does the tribulation period begin? How long is the tribulation period and when does the tribulation period begin? Now, most of you probably know or have an idea that you know of how long the tribulation period is, but you may not know why you know how long the tribulation period is. So, how long is the tribulation period and when does the tribulation period uh, begin? Um, in order to answer that question, here's where it's going to get kind of technical... In order to answer that question, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you have to understand the connection between the book of Revelation in the New Testament and the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. You have to understand that there's a direct correlation between the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation in the New Testament. In fact, Daniel is often called the book of Revelation of the Old Testament. And in regards to the tribulation period specifically, and the beginning of that tribulation period, you need to understand Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is the key to understanding when the tribulation period will begin, how long it is, and what all will be involved in it. Now, let let me set it up for you. Let me give you the background before we look at that text. Daniel, okay, guy that lived in the Old Testament, along with a bunch of other Jewish people, were captured and carried off into captivity when the Babylonians came and conquered Israel, conquered and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Historically, we know it. 586 B.C., destroyed Jerusalem, captured Israel, and took some of the best and the brightest of the Israelites off into captivity. Took them back to Babylon to serve them. Daniel is living in captivity. He's been there for a number of years at this point. And he's... he's, He's wondering how, how long, how long is Israel going to have to suffer under the bondage of the Babylonians? How long are we going to have to pay for our iniquity, for our, for our sins? And, and in Daniel chapter 9, in the earlier verses, it says, says that Daniel is reading, he's studying the book of Jeremiah, which is also in the Old Testament. Jeremiah lived before Daniel, about 600 years before Christ was born, something like that. He's living, and Jeremiah was prophesying about the coming... Uh, conquering of israel and be carrying off into captivity so daniel is reading jeremiah you with me right thank you paris um uh, daniel's reading jeremiah and in and in jeremiah he reads this he reads this passage of scripture this entire land will become a desolate wasteland israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of babylon for 70 years Then, after the 70 years of captivity are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins, says the Lord. So Daniel says, in Daniel 9, when he reads that, he says, hey, I got it. We're going to be in captivity for seven years. Doesn't take a, you know, rocket science to figure it out is what Jeremiah said. We're going to be in captivity for seven years. After that, Daniel says that he begins to pray. He begins to just, just, just pray to God and confess his sin and confess the sins of the nation of Israel and begins to ask God... God, forgive us because we've turned away from you. And they had. You know, that's always the deal with God. By the way, it doesn't change Israelites, us. It's all the same. God says, listen, <laughs> I'm with you if you'll stay with me. But if you, move, if you move off, if you move on, I'm telling you, you're coming under attack. And that's what happened to the Israelites. They came under attack. The Babylonians conquered them, carried them off. And God said, okay. And so Daniel's praying. He says, God, forgive us. Forgive us as a nation. Forgive me. Uh, he's taking his own personal responsibility because we have sinned. As he's praying, still with me? As he's praying, Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel shows up. Gabriel the angel who makes lots of announcements. And Gabriel comes down and he tells Daniel that God is going to deliver a message. He's going to to show him something that is for his edification, for his knowledge, that he's going to know this. And here's what he gives him. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Here's what he says. Gabriel speaking to Daniel. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to finish the, the, the sin that they were involved in, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up or to, to complete vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern, and here it is, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem... Remember, it's been destroyed. Daniel's living in captivity. From the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Remember, that word Messiah means Christ. Same thing. Greek word is Christ. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations are determined, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. Thanks for clearing that up, Pastor Clay. I know that's kind of complicated. I mean, what in the world? What is all that? What does all that mean? Let's see if we can break it down and kind of give this to you as best I can. First off, to to properly interpret and understand Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks that Gabriel has just told him about, we have to deal with this word weeks, okay? Weeks doesn't mean what you and I automatically think of when we hear the word weeks. We think, what, seven days, right? But the word weeks here in Hebrew doesn't actually mean seven days. It means sevens or unit of sevens or even heptads, which means seven or grouping of seven. So this word weeks means a unit of seven. Okay? Now hang with me. Seven seconds, seven minutes, seven hours, seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years. Only the context can tell you what it actually means. And in this case, it does not mean seven days to try and not you know, drag this out too long. Gabriel says to Daniel, Daniel, the nation of Israel is going to have 70 weeks. Remember that weeks means what? Sevens, units of sevens. 70 units of seven is, is what's left for the nation of Israel. And he says it will begin. And let, well, let me just say this you'll see this in just a minute, but historically, it can only mean years. And you'll see this in a minute. It can only mean, a week can only mean a period of seven years. So 70 of these, 77-year periods. All right? And he says to Daniel, he says, Daniel, you, 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 the nation of Israel, has got 70 weeks, 70 groups of seven years. You with me? I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but I'm slow to learn and So I'm teaching myself as I go. Seventy groups of seven years. That's what the word means. And he tells Daniel, he says, now, here's when that period of time will begin. It will begin when the decree is issued to rebuild Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Gabriel says, Daniel, when you see the decree to restore Israel, know this. Seven weeks and 62 weeks, how many is that? Sixty-nine weeks. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Pass. Y'all passed math. Seven and sixty-two. Sixty-nine. Sixty-nine weeks from the time the decree is issued until the Messiah is cut off. Now remember, Daniel's writing hundreds of years before Jesus Christ is ever even born. Sixty-nine weeks, or sixty-nine units of seven years apiece. Sixty-nine times seven. Four hundred and eighty-three years. Well, guess what we know historically? We know when the decree was issued to rebuild Jerusalem. The Babylonians who conquered the Israelites were then conquered themselves years later by the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. And and the Medo-Persian king, Cyrus, issued a decree to say, hey, let the Jews go back. Let them rebuild their land. By the way, took place 70 years after they'd been carried off in captivity, just like Jeremiah said it would be. We know historically when Cyrus issued the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Gabriel says to Daniel, it'll be 483 years from then until the Messiah is cut off. Anybody want to guess how long it was from Cyrus' decree to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Anybody want to guess? 483 years. Isn't the Bible an amazing thing? That's why I keep telling anybody that will listen to me, "You you can bank your whole life on this thing. You can build your whole life on this thing. Because God proves himself over and over and over again. So, we've accounted for 69 of the 70 weeks, right? 69 groups of 7 years, 483 years from Cyrus' decree till Christ was crucified. It's 483 years. What about the last week or the last grouping of 7 years? Well, it's there in Daniel chapter 9. In that latter part... Can we go back to Daniel nine? And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. That happened in seventy A.D. When Jerusalem was destroyed again, the Romans came and conquered, destroyed the city. Watch this: destroy the city, and its end will come with a flood. Even in the end, there will be war. Go ahead, desolation determined. Then this next sentence: and he. Now we'll get into. We'll specifically we'll detail him a little more. But the he in Daniel chapter nine is the Antichrist. The church age came in between the, where, where Israel was cut off and destroyed in 70 A.D. The church age, what you and I are living in now. In this last sentence, the Antichrist, and I'll explain all about that next week. And he will make a firm covenant with many for how long? One week. And how long is one week? Seven years. Y'all are good. Y'all are good. So, how long is the tribulation period? Seven years. Seven years. What will be the start of the tribulation period? Apparently, the start of the tribulation period will be the moment the Antichrist signs a covenant with the nation of Israel, which is what it was referring to there at the tail end of Daniel chapter 9. And he will make a firm covenant. The Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. We'll get into that, folks. Come back next week. Same time, same channel. We'll we'll go on further into this thing. But he will sign a peace treaty... Yes, it's it's broken halfway through, three and a half years, and that's what all that's about. but, But we'll get to it. He'll sign a peace treaty. That is your tribulation period, seven years. When does it begin? Apparently, it begins the moment the Antichrist signs this peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, uh, you know of my belief uh, that Revelation chapter 4 is revealing that the church, the believers in Jesus Christ, will be snatched up, taken up out of here prior to that event. So the signing of the peace treaty, it may happen almost immediately after the, the rapture of the church. Think about it. If I'm right uh, in my interpretation of Revelation chapter 4 and end times, if I'm right about that, millions of people will suddenly disappear from the face of this earth. Millions. Some of them will be, even be in leadership. <laughs> Some will be in, in leadership. And they'll be heads of state. And, and they'll be teachers. And, and they'll be parents. And they'll be children. And the Son of the Spirit. So you can imagine, basically, what I believe will be worldwide havoc. I mean, it's like crazy time. The Bible says that that will be the, the opening that Satan is looking for to, to step forward. And God's got his economy. God's got his plan. He'll step forward and he'll be able to, to bring a, a seeming peace to the earth. And he'll sign this peace treaty with the nation of Israel. At that point, I'm telling you, the, the the clock is running, folks, from that moment. from when Before the ink is dry, seven years has started. And I believe you can take it to the bank. You've got seven years from that point on. The tribulation period begins. <sighs> I know it's a lot. A lot of stuff. It is. But I also know this. I know it's important for our lives. Because you, you know what this does. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I'm of the firm belief that the church will be will be snatched out, we'll be raptured out. I, I truly believe that. But oh my goodness, what, 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 about, what about my neighbor? What about my friend? What about my family member? Are they going to have to go through this? Are they going to have to experience this in their life? And is there something I'm willing to say? Is there some way I'm willing to speak up or, or do something to have some impact on their life. I, I understand the decision is ultimately theirs and, and that they must decide between them and God as to what they're going to do. But, but is there some way that I can step up and say, now, wait a minute, listen, God's got a better plan for your life. God's, God's got something else in store. Next week, we'll actually begin to break down Revelation chapter six, verses one through eight. And we'll look at those four horsemen. and we look at, We'll look at what they represent. and We'll look at what is to come. And I want to say to each one of us here, even in this place right now, Today, I say it again, You, you don't want to be here when this thing breaks loose. And you don't have to be. The righteous judge pronounced sentence on our sin. And then he stepped down from the bench and became our advocate and said, I'll take their penalty upon myself. So that whoever would call on my name, on the name of Jesus, that they would be saved. That's the term that's used. It's not a real popular term nowadays, because somehow it, it, it shows, oh, you think you're better than anybody else. No, I, I'm, I'm, I can stand beside the Apostle Paul and say, I'm chief among sinners. But they don't call it amazing grace for nothing, ladies and gentlemen. They don't call it amazing grace for nothing.
0: Chapter 6 through chapter 19 details for us the events that will transpire during the Great Tribulation period. And today, Pastor Clay explained to us the reasons God is sending this time on the earth. It's exciting to think that God has it all planned out and His will is going to be fulfilled. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk.